Hey guys, just very quickly, Jordan and I recorded this podcast remotely. There were unfortunately some technical difficulties and we've had to use Jordan's camera audio. It doesn't sound the best and I do apologize for that. Still very listenable. Uh, Jordan also isn't able to talk about what I'm sure most of you want him to talk about, so there's no real reference to that. But other than that, it's just a normal podcast. Uh, We uh, have split this into two parts, so this is part one. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast. I think uh, this is the first podcast we've ever done remotely. Jordan is in isolation. He's in... uh, What do they call it? Oh my God, I'm mind blanking. What do they call it when you get get in trouble in prison and they put you in the freaking... They lock you up. Yeah, solitary confinement. Solitary confinement, that's it. But that's pretty much my entire life. It's just... That, and then sometimes I'm allowed out to the exercise yard, which is your house. It's got some plants here. There's nothing really... That's the exercise yard. Yeah, pretty much. Aren't you in in Bondi? Isn't there an outdoor gym there where all those junkies are always... Yeah, and that's my... Uh, That's me, but... (laughs) You know, I know what I am. Outdoors ones. Now I have been in, in lockdown, yeah. I'm there it's every day. Mm. I'm a gi- I'm not a gym junkie, but I'm just I'm so pretentious, pretentiously aggressive at the gym. Like I got my headphones on, and I'm always just yeah, come on, come on, next set, let's go, let's go. <laughs> and this isn't an outdoor. This isn't a park in Burwood where there are people with their families going for lovely strolls, and I'm just there like an animal. And you know what? I love it. What? So you're the only one there without a shirt and your hat backwards on. No, There's I do no wear a shirt. You wear a shirt. You're not that I do hardcore. have. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too much. Uh, too many. Carbs. You need tats to go with the with the no shirt look. So you're probably doing it right. I'm nearly there, man. I got I got the beard. I got to get that fade again, and I do wear yeah. a cap backwards. So <laughs> I'm uh, I'm halfway there. I look like any jacked up lebo at uh, at the gym. <laughs> And I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. You should be. You say that on your self-help channel, right? Where you're like, if you're doing a certain task, you've got to adopt a a character, a caricature that would perform well at that task. Yeah. So you are living it up. I I take on a very different persona when I do these podcasts to when I'm uh, doing my outdoor gym exercises. (laughs) Do you think you speak more ochre when you're doing it? No, not more Ocker, more Westy. Like, come Westie. on, let's, fuck, let's fucking go. Let's do these sets. But as uh, everyone knows, I'm actually listening to <laughs> Verbal Advantage. Country Western? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm listening, to, I'm listening to myself, rec- a recording of myself and all the words that I want, I want to learn. <laughs> And using them in a sentence. <laughs> so it's me popping myself up. Like, yeah, uh, so, so, the, all that shit. Yeah, yeah, it's me. It's me just pumping myself up. Where with listening to my own voice saying it. Logicious, avaricious, <laughs> demonstrable. You are so lucky. You don't live maybe two suburbs away from where you currently live. No, but you look, would the, get. The, the appearance I put off, I reckon, would just be enough to not get bashed. I'm not saying I would actually wield any status uh, <laughs> when, when we get to really rough areas, but I like to think. All right, but let I me like rephrase that. Think. If it came, if your like headphone came out mm-hmm. and then it was oh, just, yeah, yeah th- that. <laughs> yeah, then I'd get bashed. Instead of DEFCON 1 music, yeah. 
you would yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. so in danger. Well, no, they wouldn't know what is being said. I'll just say, bro, it's just some fucking this chick, man. Like she's full smart. I'm trying to impress her, and then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> But I'm just trying to get in her pants, man. You know how it is. <laughs> um, very, very, <laughs> very quickly, Jordan, fill fill everyone in on uh, on your situation. I know we can't comment about it too much, but uh, the the people want to know where uh, is Friendly Geordies? Where has he been? Friendly Geordies is where Friendly Geordies always is, which is in his office, just writing. But I haven't been able to release anything for reasons that I can't go into. There's nothing else that I can add to it other than to say, no, nah, that's it. I've, I've exhausted everything I can currently say. <laughs> so let's just move on and pretend that move I on. haven't released anything for the last month. <laughs> okay, we can, we can skip past all of that. What was the thing you released before that? Aussie, was, was it making fun of... Uh, Maths? Or oh, that's... Oh, fuck. No, I've missed like a few No, I think days. it was making fun of Depop, which had its... Yeah, what, uh, what is that? You don't know Depop? No. That is a way to get a lot of 18-year-old British chicks pissed off at you. That is a very... Sp- it's like... <laughs> it's like if eBay was run by a bunch of Instagram influencers. It's nothing but trading, uh, you, you know, you know what it is? This is pretty much it. This is fucked. It is buying clothes from op shops and then reselling them. And because you have a name as being like a Depop resale celebrity, you get like an up mark of 50 to 100%. So basically you're a famous op shop lady. You're Isn't fa- the internet so- insane? Famous op shop, op shop pyramid scheme semi-influencer. So it's just like Love Island rejects, the, the chicks that didn't get into Love Island. Not <laughs> hot enough. Don't go to enough out-of-body exercise gyms, you know? What are British influencers, where do they take all their photos? Because I, uh, there's, there's a lot of beaches for uh, Instagram girls to take photos here in Australia. Where the hell do they take their photos? You know, every single one that I've ever seen of theirs is always in some church. What? Uh, what? In a church? It's actually really sacrilegious. Kind of what, in a bikini? Though. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Them walking up in a sarong around like some really historical staircase. Because that would be the most beautiful thing in Britain, wouldn't it? Just old medieval architecture. That would be the closest thing that they have to, like, the backdrop of Wollongong. I'd take Wollongong. It just seems a bit (laughs) wrong, doesn't it? Like, somewhere that you know, if you did that even 100 years ago, you would have been beheaded instantly. No questions, (laughs) no trial. Now they're just flaunting their ass out there. I mean, the true hot. iconoclasts of uh, of our generation. <laughs> Unintended. <laughs> Unintended at that. Boundaries. What you mean? I'm not allowed to take my f- clothes off here. Can't Why not? Fanny. <laughs> fanny. That is All it. the British British uh, slang terms for vagina are hilarious. Minge. 
twat, oh, yeah, minge. Clunge. Oh, is clunge a word? <laughs> yeah. It sounds so mechanical, doesn't it? <laughs> Every other word that they have for it makes Got it sound like here, a mate. bog. Huh? Oh, I'm a oh yeah, once I went out, I can't remember if I've already said this, but I, w- I went out with this British guy and he'd just go up to random bars and ask the bouncer, Oi mate, what's the minge like in there? <laughs> <laughs> now that is a country with a class divide. <laughs> the difference Did the bouncers between... respond? Yeah, they were like, oh, not that good, mate. Like, they'll actually, they'll tell you the truth. <laughs> Although it was Scotland, so I don't, they, they have a Scottish accent. It's not, I'm not good at the. Oh, all right. Nah, not, not in here. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, but where would it be good in Scotland? Yeah, where would there be good minge in Scotland? There's no such thing. Then again, I do. I, I like redheads. I, uh, I have a thing for redheads. But surely the hot ones are from Ireland. There's no way they'd uh, be from Scotland. I don't know, man. Um, Edinburgh, A- Edinburgh. There's some uh, some attractive people there. I'm not buying it. I'm going to have to see with my own eyes before I can ever believe that there's such a thing as an attractive Scottish person. Look, and I it am could half be that. Scottish. Huh? Are you? Yeah, yeah. What? You're everything. What? <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> I'm two things. You're not one of the really <laughs> oppressed minorities anymore, though, because now even even. Europeans are, uh, I don't know, they're not really oppressed or they're just not, they're, they're just a meh. They're a meh oh, yeah, minority. No one yeah, really yeah, cares. Yeah. No, no one gives a fuck. To be fair, they've done very well. They've uh, all got three houses now. Came Croats, you reckon? Oh, but they come here for sure. Came here as factory workers in the 50s and now they've got multi-million dollar mansions in my, in my area in Sydney. Always. They're all wogs. Super That's that yeah. place. Uh, yeah. It's, you know what else as well? I've got to say, like, I'm really glad that you brought your work ethic here that built the snowy hydro scheme. But did you have to bring the architecture? Greek houses are fucked. I hate them. Like, brick with white colanders and cement. That is chad. Well, you don't like the, you don't like the, uh, the the big uh, pillars in the middle. Do you the European houses? Yeah, man. I I, I rate <laughs> the Mediterranean architecture because it's a throwback to you know the Roman Greek times, isn't it? Yeah, isn't but it? it's like it's a, like, such a budget. For, like <laughs> yeah, but that's like, like every British Greek. architecture is just a, you know. The lawn was apparently meant to be the everyman's way of showing, oh, look at me, I have a mini castle. Because only the royals used to have lawn, apparently. So then, back when everyone started owning their own home, lawn was a big status symbol. Which now, why would you... uh, Yeah, cool, you got some grass. Yeah. It still sort of is... No, actually, I'll say this. I think it's turning into a status symbol. You know what is a real status symbol in this day and age? A freestanding house. Don't you reckon every time you see someone walk out of one of them, you're like, you lucky cunt. What's 
I don't even know what that is. Well, like everyone lives in either an apartment or they live in one of those like duplex new development houses. Our no age, one yes. Lives, yeah, no one, That's yeah, true. exactly. No one, unless you're an old Greek man, lives in a brick home. So I think that like when you see... <laughs> with a lemon tree. Yeah, with the lemon tree. <laughs> you don't ever see... You don't see many houses with, like... It's actually really scary. How much does this fucking terrify you that the aim of Sydney is, I think, by 2030 to have about 25% freestanding houses? They want 75% of the population to just be living in coffins. So that is, like, that's what's happening in, like, Singapore, right? Like, if you have a freestanding house in Singapore, you are... Off the charts, rich. What's the benefit to the government if they... Is, is it just lower utility costs and less roads to build? The infrastructure costs would still be the same, wouldn't they? Because there's still the... What would determine the ultimate cost of infrastructure would just be the population more than... Yeah, the population, but that's the whole thing. They just want to fucking cram as many people as they can into Sydney. That's mm. the aim, is to just double it. And, and the they, only way to do that. The um, builders get massive deals, don't they, when they take over a plot of land and then they make those 100-story. And I ha- Look, I live in one of those coffins, but, you know. Yeah, I'm but that's person. what I'm saying. Like, you, you don't really... This is actually really scaring me, right? Like... Not to brag, but I would say that we are some of the more successful people of our generation. Like, even corporate suits and shit like that are kind of just like, damn, they made it, you know? But, like, we can't fucking afford a freestanding house. That is a crime. That is a fucking crime. Yeah. You know, like... A one-bedroom average... apartment on a highway. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I could get, man. <laughs> I, I love it, though. Don't get me wrong. I actually prefer living here than, than I would in the eastern suburbs, I think. But, yeah, it no, is... I it do is... like your area. It's nice. And, like, that, that's kind of true. But it's, it's, like, that's exactly what you're saying. That's all you can do. Hmm. Well, we'll leave the Sydney talk there because I always get messages of people... Shut up about it. Yeah. Disgruntled people. You always talk about Sydney. Well... Yeah. <laughs> well, shut up. <laughs> what do you expect two Sydney people to do? We're going to talk about Sydney because we're, we're <laughs> cunts. We're pretentious cunts. Hey, how about we get into a uh, question? You want to do a question, Jordan? Yeah, why not? By the way, uh, before uh, we get into this question... Uh, neilkohacker.com slash podcasts if you'd like to ask us a question for $10 a month all the money will go to charity I'm also in the process of uh, taking my Sydney show all over Australia uh, but on a monthly basis so what we're planning to do is start a monthly version of this show in all the capital cities and some smaller New South Wales cities if you work at a bar or an RSL uh, or any sort of venue that would be interested in hosting it uh, and you live in, well, we're particularly looking at Newcastle and Canberra. That's where we're still trying to find a venue. Uh, Adelaide and Perth, I think we've sort of, we're pretty much locked down a venue, but we're still open uh, if uh, you know of any other venues that would be suitable. Uh, so if you're interested, we'll bring a lot of traffic to your venue 
and it'll be good times all round. Send me an email, neil.business at outlook.com. The plan with that show is basically... Yeah, I mean, look, we just... I don't want some fancy theatre. I, I, no. I like the feel of being... I don't want to go full dingy pub either, but... No, RSLs is the happy medium between those. I'm telling you, yeah. it's like yeah. they're the perfect venue to perform any type of comedy, especially your type. Because that's like stages. where like, school plays are played, you know? They've got the right acoustics. They've that's got it. the right theaters lights. rob you. Theatres fucking rob you, man. Like, uh, look, I love performing in the theatre. There's nothing like it. But, man, they, they really milk you dry with all the posts. So no. it's just not worth If it's going to be a monthly room, it's just not worth it. The plan with this, actually, because Jordan and I, before the podcast, were talking about, as we always do, the mainstream slash internet comedian divide. So the plan with this, basically, is uh, to start a weekly comedy show filmed across multiple locations across Australia and have a platform. First of all, create a great comedy show a good product we've got improv we've got uh some of those line games that you've seen on my tiktok and instagram if you follow me there uh sketches uh but but create an outlet for other comedians to be shown to australians because the comedians first of all don't have many opportunities and those few opportunities one it's very political it's very nepotistic there is a sort of ideology that's very pervasive around some of the shows in um mainstream australian tv that deal with comedy and i just want to create a show where comedians who i think are incredible and just can't get themselves out there because there's no way for them to to be shown to everyone so that's the ultimate plan with what i'm doing there um, so stay tuned. It's all in the works, and this lockdown hasn't helped. But <laughs> getting on to the question. This one, oh, keep me anonymous. All right. This one comes from uh, Kay. Hi, Neil and Jordan. Keep up the great work. I live over in Perth, and you're right. Perth is the maddest city in Australia, hands down. Mm. I've been focusing a lot recently on communication between other people and myself. I feel as though communication holds the key to power for the use of both good and evil. I found that a lot of the communication I tell myself is negative, and I've been trying to break that cycle by meditating and reading self-help. I'm also trying to be a better communicator by slowing down my thoughts so I can clearly speak my mind. I've also been trying to imitate the body language of the person I'm talking to, but I can still struggle sometimes. There's certain people that I just can't seem to have a free-flowing conversation with at all, and sometimes I feel like they're, that we're not on the same wavelength. Do you have any tips for communicating clearly and do you believe people run on different wavelengths? P.S. If there are any books that are really good on the issue, let me know. Thank you. What do you reckon, Jordan? It sounds like he's already putting a lot of practices in place to improve his communication. So he's, he's slowing down his thoughts, speaking clearly, speaking with brevity. See, the problem uh, meditating. is... Meditating. Yeah, no, that, those are all good. What I've realised over a long period of time is I think I'm not particularly good at communicating with other people. I think it's the same thing. Like, we're good at communicating to a big audience and that mm. is very different to one-on-one. 
I think that the big, I think the big thing when it comes to, you know what I see, and like he's got it right, but I see that people that are really good with communicating, they sort of have this natural inherent empathy where they're able to sort of just quickly mm-hmm. inherit the other person's mind and then they're able to talk to them in a way that best gels with them. So, like, recently there's this dude I know that's, like, a he's a former Juno and he's, like, very suave. Uh, he's, like, in his 50s. You can tell he's fucked a lot of women, you know? He's, like, he's one of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so, obviously, he's anyone fucking... who's suave and in their fifties, it's it's happening for sure. Forty years, okay, thirty years fox. of experience, yeah. Silver fox, but you notice that the thing that he has is when he is talking to someone who's I don't know, short and to the point and formal. He is short and to the point and formal. And then, like, I walk through the door and I'm, like, just a permanent 15-year-old. And so he talks to me like I'm a permanent, like another 15-year-old does. Then Mm. he goes and talks to, like, I don't know, like a truck driver or something. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, how's that going? You know, like, he's able to switch in and out of pretty much... It's it's not even this thing of like uh, when, when they're always saying like you adopt their mannerisms and their and their and their character traits. I think that's like a really surface level way of looking at it. I think a better way of looking at this is like uh, God, this is even more surface level. But I think it's more encompassing. Is like what is the energy of the other person? And when you can figure that out, when you can kind of study their face and how their I think that's all the key of it, actually, is like, uh, I think it was Edgar Allan Poe that said, if you make the facial expression of someone else, you will know what they're thinking. And there's actually like a bit of scientific literature in this now where they say that really there is about 10,000 different facial expressions and you can go to uncontacted tribes and they will be like, that's sad, that's aggressive, that's confused, they're kind of just universally mm. recognized. That's something that, you know, people that are like wow. autistic, they can't decipher facial expressions very well. But like the average person is able to just sit there, look at how somebody's face is working, and then they can just mimic that face. I think that that's what makes a natural communication flow work better. I'd be hesitant to just say pure mimicry because then it can come across as you're just trying to appease the other person. Would you say that you have to adopt a certain amount of their uh, mannerisms and their style of communicating? Well, it depends what and you having want. That, yeah, having that empathy is important because taking an interest in what they're speaking about is vital. And I think some people are just very naturally interested in what other people have to say. And if you're, if you're interested in what the other person is saying, they're going to enjoy talking to you. Mm. I mean, I just think of someone like Joe Rogan and he's constantly 
talking about how I'm just a, I'm just an average dude. I'm just a comedian. I'm a meathead. But the one thing that comes across from all his podcasts, and I think probably the biggest reason why he's the biggest podcaster in the world, is that he is so interested in whatever that other person has to say. And he's genuinely interested. He's curious. Uh, and he has a willingness to learn. Mm-hmm. And he's not trying to talk over them. He finds the right balance between challenging some views and, and questioning and delving further. But he is very interested in that other person. Mm-hmm. And I think taking an interest in – it's as simple as that. Taking an interest in what the other person has to say. Now, if you're overthinking it and, and uh, you know you might have to do that initially if you're uh, struggling to connect with certain people. But if you have all these – I guess, rules and guidelines or what do I say when they say this or when they respond with this sort of a sentiment, how do I respond accordingly? I think eventually you want to get to a point where it's natural and you're in a flow state and you, you can't fake something like interest. If, if, if you're just authentically interested in what this person has to say, I think I, I can't see how you would never, you, you can't, hey, hey, sorry, you wouldn't connect with them. You're at least, you know what it is? It's a fail safe because it's like, even if you aren't part of their world, you're at least trying to enter it. That's something that people would actually find. It's, it's at the very least comforting. That's the whole thing is like, I think that the baseline of good communication always comes from a level of comfort. You're able to make the other person feel at ease. And the whole thing works from there. But I think that the whole idea of grandiloquence, presence, these things I think actually really only help uh, when you are a performer or you're making like presentations. Other than that, you're kind of right. And even then, who are you presenting to? Yeah, exactly. Because just, you know, that... If you're being excessively showy and grandiloquent for the sake of it, that's not going to resonate with certain people, certain audiences. No. People want to see that you are skilled at what you're doing if you're in a... if you're performing or if you're in a context where there's a mass audience listening to you. But you're also appealing to a different, you know, not, not every audience is the same. So I don't think there's one fail-safe or there's, there's, there's just one solution to always appe- appeasing every possible. No, it's, it, look, it's called the art of conversation for a reason, isn't it? Like there's, there's just a few general themes that sort of, it's a lot like comedy. Like, it's there's a few general themes that work, but no one can ever, you can never say, like, that's going to have a 100% success rate. So he's also asked about communication with himself. Uh, so he has inner dialogue, which I'm still, it still shocks me from that podcast we did earlier this year that some people don't have inner dialogue. Crazy, no? That's crazy to me. It's crazy to they me. They have a much happier life. It's crazy to them that that yeah, I'd imagine. 
Yeah. It's probably crazy to them that other people have in a dialogue. So he's, uh, he's I found a lot, of, a lot of communication I tell myself is negative and I've been trying to break that cycle mm. by meditating and reading self-help. Meditating is the best thing you can yeah. do. You just sometimes have to actually train yourself to speak positively. And it can come across as very cliche and, 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 and cringy. And it, it's the sort of advice you'd hear from a Instagram story. But always telling yourself, look, I'm doing okay and I'm a good person. That helps. Now, it can be done to an excessive degree and you become a narcissist. But I've been... This term narcissist is, loose, is used so loosely now. I, I, I saw a video by someone who actually is a, a therapist and he was saying this is these are signs of uh this particular trait of uh the narcissistic martyr and so someone he was he was showcasing someone who had moved into an apartment block onto the second floor and it's obviously it's very onerous having to take all the bags up to the second floor and he says to himself god you idiot always move into the second floor always doing dumb stuff now when I saw that that was described as narcissism, I thought, look, that's just a very broad brush that you're painting. We've all said things like that to, to ourselves. Am I, am, I, am I unique in having that sort of... Half the time, if I haven't found my wallet, oh, you fucking idiot, you always put your wallet somewhere, you can't find it. Am I a narcissistic martyr? I mean, that's just bit of a tangent there but i just think that was a that's just something that came to mind that was just they always do that don't they it's kind of a bullshit art psychology it's it's the same thing it's like yes these are traits pop psychology psychology and it's like i suppose that those are indicators of narcissism but they would have to be so much more extreme to be debilitating in life exactly yeah exactly I mean, what, like, do you never, I know for a fact, you've definitely said things like that. Like, oh, fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm shit at technology or, oh, I'm, I'm not good at this particular thing. You know, you're exasperated or you're just a bit peeved at something you've done or forgotten to do. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think that's just very human and normal. I mean, maybe I'm the narcissist. I don't know. But... It can be uh, done to a harmful degree. And I think you have to counter it. I think that naturally we're just inclined to, well, if you're a sort of cynical or perfectionistic person, then you're naturally inclined to have a lot of negative self-talk. And I think uh, the best way to fight that is to just actively speak positively to yourself. But, but, purposefully and 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 you have to sort of train yourself to do that because if your natural inclination is to speak negatively to yourself well you have to sit there for 10 minutes a day and and repeat certain positive affirmations or just get into a habit of actually speaking positively about yourself if you catch yourself thinking oh fuck, i'm a failure i always do this i'm a, I'm a loser i'm a nobody you it, you just have to catch yourself doing that before it spirals mm into a really dark place. Um, and, and meditating, look, he's already doing that. So keep, keep meditating, keep, keep working at it. Um, little, a little technique, a good one is if you catch yourself speaking negatively, you just you say delete, 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 and you see the word as well in your mind. 
<laughs> How autistic is that? <laughs> Walking through it's the street. It's definitely designed for that, yeah. <laughs> but the method works. A psychologist, a psychiatrist told me that, so I'm sure it does. Well, it's just about pattern interruption. That's it. Yeah. You can do anything that stops you from thinking about what you were thinking about. That's the first step. And look, just use that for the rest of your life. These are tricks that a lot of the population doesn't use, but it is basic mental hygiene, I think. That, talking about why you're proud of yourself, like you do need to remind yourself of these things. You really do. Especially if you have a solitary life, like uh, uh, most people do have these days. But like, I think there was... um, There's, there's like, it's, it's like pretty much an entire, like, uh, it's like an entire field now, which is just whatever you were told growing up, you just keep believing. And so if you don't do what Neil is Mm. talking about now, you are just a prisoner of that mentality for the rest of your life. And it's so weird to have, you just need to have this realisation all the time that there is, what, 7 billion minds on planet Earth and all of them are seeing the world in a different way. So the way that you are currently thinking about yourself is not how the other 7 billion people would be thinking about themselves or you if they met you. Like, everything that you are, like, you can just completely create that reality in your own head. And when you start doing that, it starts reflecting out into the real world. So I think it's like a really good point. It's just, it needs to be reminded over and over again that like if you aren't speaking to yourself positively, your life will get shitter. I can guarantee you that. I can guarantee it. So that's the like actual motivation that is there that you need to... Like, remind yourself of, otherwise your life starts declining. There's, there's an actual tangible reason to do this, not just to, like, feel good about yourself. So, like, the fact that mm. you are doing that, I really can't add anything more to it. It's just what you are doing now is basically just like brushing your teeth. You have to do it for the rest of your life. Yes, it's also will pay dividends in the long term more than anything. You probably will see reap the biggest rewards from from this uh, three, four, five, six years down the track if you're doing it consistently. Yeah, and this and I do believe people run on different wavelengths. Uh, that's I guess his last question there. Yeah, of course. People are very deep. Yeah, we're all we all have our own subjective reality. And a lot of communication is nonverbal. Is that they say ninety percent of communication is nonverbal, don't they? Yeah, some figure like that. So if you're speaking very confidently but you have the body language of an insecure person, that's gonna be more much more salient than whatever you say. So again, if you're continually talking to yourself positively, or at least if you're in a positive headspace, that will be on display through the nonverbal communication as well. Yeah. And it'll be very subtle, 
but it will make a huge difference. I think another way of looking at it as well is, I mean, I go in and out of liking these terms, but I basically hate them because people get so smug about it. Look, I don't know these specifically, but let's just go through the basic ones, right? Of like dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins. And if you're thinking when you are speaking to someone that you are wanting them to get little dopamine hits, pretty much they're going to be on tender hooks to everything that you say. And if you say that you're like thinking about it in terms of an oxytocin chemical reaction, uh, there will be like a connection and a bond there. And then endorphins is makes people excited. That is a trick that I started doing when I did, when, when I just went back to stand-up shows after being out for an hour, uh, for a year. Went back and before I started going on stage, I'd just jump up and down for maybe two to five minutes before going on stage. I'm telling That's you, the response is so incredible. different. Huh? That, that way of seeing communication through the parameters of what chemical hit are you trying to create within this person or this audience that's brilliant i like that well like you can't unsee it because a lot of the thing that you like also really helps when you're talking to people or when you're feeling a certain way about yourself you just got to remember like all of these things are just little chemical reactions and if you do something in a different way uh, you're going to create a different chemical reaction in your head. So just always remember, like, it's not really something, like, your brain will just trick you into thinking that you're feeling bad about yourself because of logical reasons. It's not. It's because you're not getting enough fucking endorphins or something. But you can manufacture those yourself, and you can manufacture them in other people because it is really a state transferal thing. In fact, I noticed this when I went and saw... Christian Hull, I saw him perform and he came on stage dancing to Britney Spears, as you'd expect, right? And he brought the house down and that energy carried out with him for the rest of the show. It really was just that initial energy that was holding the show together. It changes because there's like, you are emanating that pheromone, I suppose. It's actually like... When my girlfriend and I hug, our dog just starts humping us, right? Because there's like a sexual pheromone that's going out. <laughs> but like, that's that's just happening all the time. Oh, you're not, you're yeah. not wrong. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but like anytime there's wow. even like a bit of sexual tension in a room, dogs will start getting frisky or animals will start, like it's... Yeah, because that's all they're really going off of. They're much more in tune with this stuff. So if there's like a sexual energy in the room, they're just like, sex, sex, you know, like, or, you know, if you're excited, that's the other thing. If I get up and I'm just like, yes, then like the dog is like, oh my God, you know, they just feed off that. But that's really what people are doing as well. Yeah. You're emotional state will transfer to the other person and vice versa and vice versa so if it's someone if it's a very cynical pessimistic person and you're bubbly that's not going to connect with them no 
you need to meet them with their cynicism, but maybe you're able to hit them with a few dopamine triggers. And that's also something that I've noticed again from coming back. I've really just categorized all the audiences that I do now into, is this a high energy audience or a low energy audience? And depending on, purely depending on that, purely depending on like the first 30 seconds of me being on stage, the show will be delivered in a completely different way from just that. And you're right. Like if you go on stage and you are high energy to a low energy audience, you bomb. Every fucking joke bombs. You go on stage to a low energy audience and you meet them low energy, there's just kind of like a relaxed, laid back, easy laugh feel in the room. And that's fine. They're, they're, at, they're there. And as you said, right, like you're meeting them there. Yeah, I like that. Couldn't agree more. Well, Kay, thank you very much for the question. As I said, neilcohacker.com slash podcasts. If you'd like to ask us a question, do you want to answer another one? Yeah, okay. We've got a few lined up. You, you guys have been sending in quite a few. Thank you, thank you for all the subscriptions. Uh, so this one is from. Give me a second here. I'm gonna because almost everyone says, "Oh, keep me anonymous." So I'm gonna assume the default is anonymous. So unless people actually say in the question. I want you to share my name. I'm not going to do it. I love how everyone wants to be anonymous on these podcasts as though we're some kind of secret cult. Yeah, what? That's, that's why the, are they doing that's it? That's the reason they'll say, oh, please keep me anonymous. I've got to... This guy actually hasn't the said shame. that. But, but a lot of times people say, this guy, keep me anonymous because, you know, I'm going for a big job interview soon. What? How is us answering a question going to affect that? You know why? You know why? Because this is everyone's question. Dear Neil and Jordan, here's my insecurity in life. Please help. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, like, we do attract that. That's the whole, It's just a long therapy session for everyone. So I do understand the anonymous therapy. We can actually call it that dude therapy. <laughs> okay. Dude, come on. Let's All right. do it. Dude therapy with There's Neil and Jordan. Almost... <laughs> I'm guessing there's almost certainly a podcast out there already titled Do Three Days. Podcast titles are very hard. It's, it, they're like Hotmail accounts. Yeah, Every name is taken. When, I was, when we were thinking for a name with, with sex sales, we had a list of so many that we wanted, all of them taken. Yeah, well, sex sales Luckily, works. sex sales wasn't. That's, a, great. Nice That's a great name. Yeah. Very happy with that. Shout out to my mate Ben who actually came up with that. And I know he listens to this. Well, Ben, tell us what you think yeah. about dude Essential therapy. worker. Shout out to all the essential workers. Yeah, out which there. turns out to all be the like care workers. real Thank estate you. agent staff. But, you know, <laughs> got to move that property. <laughs> Alrighty, so this one is from Jay. Hello, Neil and Jordan. I'm currently finishing off a Doctor of Medicine and I'm looking forward to using it as a staging platform to start up an investment wow. company. My question relates to your thoughts. Yeah, this man is doing very well in life. My question relates to your thoughts. You don't need our help. How are we going to help? Yeah, what are we going to do? A doctor of medicine and then you're going to start your own company. Okay. My question relates to your thoughts on using a private company to influence policy 
governments for the better, as it seems the only real way to have governments make changes is through being a corporation instead of an individual. Love the podcast. I've uh, been listening to a while on Spotify. That reminds me, actually, I got an email saying there's been some playback issues for people who are listening on the Google app. Uh, if that's the case, let me know, uh, just so I, I know it's not just that person's phone. Uh, same email as before, neil.business at outlook.com. And then he refined the question a little bit. I just got to find the refinement. Yeah, so I just want to refine my question I sent through earlier. Um, I'm finishing off a doctor of medicine, looking forward to using it as a staging platform to start up an investment company. My question relates to your thoughts on using a private company to get into the space of what I've uh, randomly termed nation building and how this ties it up. It's, Sounds like the same. Sounds like the same question. But anyway, <laughs> let's just go off the first one. Um, this is out of my realm. I, I, I don't. It would have to be a pretty big corporation to actually influence governments. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, this is definitely Jordan's area of expertise so you take it away jordan what do you think look it's definitely the 4d chess move which i really would expect nothing less frankly i'm disappointed that you're not on 8d chess mate so you've got a lot to explain but i i i would expect an answer like that from somebody who is that educated he's right as you said as well though like you, you would have to be uh coles before federal governments would give a fuck. But I honestly think that when it comes to corporate influence, this is a little tweak in my thinking that I've had recently, which is that there is a big difference in the divide between how business communities operate and the political class operate because they're completely different games. Hmm. Obviously, the business community wants certain outcomes and that's why they sponsor certain politicians. And politicians know this, but the really genius politicians are the ones that are able to get that business's agenda across and get their own agenda across in the process. So it's always getting morphed by very Machiavellian schemers. Actually, I should talk about this in another podcast, um, and I will go into that a lot if you want, but like this, this whole like uh, police state that is coming up uh, in terms of what's happening online, that, that really starts playing into that. And it's scary, scary stuff, horrifying. But... Um, I think that, yeah, really, when it comes to political influence via companies, corporate donations help in terms of what you should be, what political parties you should be backing. Obviously, the more money they have to play, the more they can do. But in terms of you actually welding real, raw political influence, you've got to make it your life, man. You really do. And honestly, I think that you, being a PhD med student, you've made medicine your life. Now you're turning into business. I really think you're on the back foot on this one. The really Machiavellian political operators, 
they wanted to be a politician from fucking 12. It's a, it's, it's a really refined killer skill. And these are really good politicians, just absolute fucking sociopathic robots that know how to get the job done. You know, like they're a completely different person to you or I. Um, they don't come across that way. No, but that's not the in Australia. Point. That's a good sociopath. Yeah, well, that would be, that, that would work. High functioning sociopath. Well, yes, so, not yes. sociopath. Uh, yes, yeah, sociopath. That's, that's yeah, true. High function, but that's the thing. Like, I, dude, I know this because I do delve in these worlds now, right? And so, like, the, yeah. the le- can I just on, jump go on, go on. in? So, so really, it's just these self-interested actors doing a lot of backroom deals, making the right factions. It's it's Survivor on a massive yes. scale. And the thing is, honestly, because wow. now it's getting heavy for me, right? And I've just always realized, like I've just realized every single time I'm ever in the room with these people, your lawyers, your politicians, that class of person, they live in a... I feel like a zoo animal. Like they look at... You know what I feel like? I feel like I'm in a room filled with a bunch of poker players that are Vegas fucking level, and then I'm coming in being like, is a queen good? Oh, I got a royal flush, sorry. Like, it's it's like any time that I ever win in that world, it's because I'm not in that world, and I've somehow broken through into it, and they're just like, but my schemes, you know? Like, the, the world is so insular, and they're all bred in between each pitted against each other. They're like what they do in their own world is genius. But to the average person, like some lead or something that's just like a construction worker, you'll just be like, man, shut the fuck up. And like it, it doesn't doesn't work in the way that it works in their head. What really how it really works for them isn't appealing to you. You don't it's it's amazing knowing this. You, it's it's incredible realizing how little you actually fucking matter to these people. But the thing is, like, it can't not because mm. these are super intelligent people that are pitted against other super intelligent people. They don't have fucking time to think about what people in fucking Hurstfield think, you know? Uh, it's just like, and the thing has just been coming more and more hyperbred, like. I've seen this happen within the Labor Party, which is that, and this is something that they're always complaining about, right? Which is that, you know, your union types, the people that used to uh, represent nurses, those people are slowly getting edged out of the Labor Party. They're good people. They genuinely care about the population, but they don't have that instinct that is bred from constantly playing with other they don't think like that they think i actually came into politics because i want to improve the healthcare system or something like that but the people that actually grasp how labor party liberal party i'm still always going to say that the labor party is a much better machine but the people that are actually pulling the levers that is their skill in life that is their goal their goal is to get as high as they fucking can in that pecking order. What is a specific example of something they may be doing that 
constitutes that sort of Machiavellian acting. I'll give you a good example, actually. Uh, they, they're just making deals with corporations and saying, you scratch my back, I scratch your back type thing. Like, you'll get these tax concessions if you give me this funding. Is it as simple as I'm, I'm assuming it's far more complex and detailed than that, but is that the basic Well, that's the whole it? thing. I always thought that that's where it ends. And you're right, like, a, a very crude analogy of how power works is that and that's pretty much all i've been explaining for the last seven years but the closer i've got to these people the more i've realized fuck they're like a level above us uh in fact actually we'll do it on the next podcast i won't do it in this one but how certain players in the liberal party played murdoch with the media bargaining code is just beautiful that is the emperor of the planet, Rupert Murdoch, that they are outplaying. And it's again because Rupert Murdoch... With huh? some 4D, 8D chess yeah. thing going on. So, okay, they are, we're going to do this. That he's going to think that. But what we're really doing is wanting him to react in that way so we can do this. And then That's yeah, how they think. Okay. So they're just You're so layers. Right. Like, of the, yeah, I, yeah, can't, right. I can't help it. Like, I, I hate it. I hate being around those people because they actually do think like that. Damn. And it's fucked. That sounds fun. It's, it's, <laughs> maybe I'm a sociopath. But it is. You think it sounds fun. And it might be fun to think like that for a bit. But imagine if that was your entire life. You know, yes. like it's, it's, there's no consequence. If you, it's a paranoid, yeah. isolating, like, fuck, I better stab this guy in the back before he stabs me way to think. And like, I hate it. Like I, I've, I've been around those people for a bit and I, I don't have the brain for it. You know, I really don't like to look at the world like that. I'm not intelligent enough to look at the world like that. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like these are very Machiavellian schemers, and to think that you're going to influence them is actually the completely wrong way to think about politics. They are in, if you get involved at all, they are influencing you. They're influencing fucking Murdoch. So, what chance do you have? You know, like Murdoch would have some genius minds around him and he gets outplayed. Google gets outplayed. This is their realm. Well, both, of, both parties are coming to the table with certain cards, certain avenues of power. Right. You know, Murdoch has, his, has the press and the government has the ability to legislate, make whatever laws and either make business for Murdoch easier or harder. And then Murdoch has the ability to paint that government in a good light or a bad. Again, this is probably a very crude analysis of the whole thing, but I'm just coming back to this question. You'd have to, uh, if you don't have something to offer, something you always say, humans are value-seeking creatures. And there'd be no better example of that than in the realm of politics. What are you actually going to be able to offer them? Because the only way you could possibly influence them is uh, with some form of offering. You could donate, but I'm sure a lot of companies are donating, so you could donate the most. Or if you do wield some form of media audience or ability to sway given populations, that that could be a 
a hand that you're able to play. I'm just trying to think, you know, it, it's just what what can you bring to the table? Is that a better way of thinking about it? And 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 also, if he's, if he's just finished his PhD, then politics in twenty or thirty years, I'm I'm assuming, is going to look, you know, infinitely different. Yeah. To what it is now. Yeah. So. That's actually. I mean, money. Look, at the end of the day, I'm sure throughout history, money would have always been a a pretty good bargaining chip. So if you have a corporation that turns over a massive profit, then I'm sure politicians would want to hear what you have to say. Yes, they definitely will. And there is very, very good metrics into this, into how you know if you're in an oligarchy or a democracy, which actually are the only... You know, I'm always just saying I hate phrases like left and right. The only political phrases that I like now are oligarchy and democracy. It's just how often does the general population get what they want and how often does the really elite class get what they want? That's pretty much the only divide. It's just purely about thinking about it, I guess, like what we're saying here, in terms of power. And and the classic uh, problem is if you spend 30 years with this as your life mission, it's highly likely you're going to just become... What you sought to destroy. Yes. That's, I'm and sure you know most of the people. It's an arms race. That's the thing that's yeah. really scary. That's the thing. It's like every fucking, like you talk to old school politicians and they talk about how fucking savage the newcomers are. There's this phrase in politics about like killing the person in front of you. That's how they think. They're always using words like that. Kill, slaughter, axe. They, they, they use these phrases a lot. Very visceral, violent terms. And it's, it's the real, it's that analogy that we're always using of like Africa. Uh, the reason Australian animals are just open to slathered, even house cats, right, is because they grew up on a continent that really didn't have much competition. They kind of could remain cuddly koalas and possums and things. Africa, oh, you didn't have that. Huh? Killing. There's, there's a lot of snakes that will kill you and funnel webs and whatnot. Yeah, that's but, like, it's not the same as, like, a, a pride of lions, like, targeting you. You know, <laughs> and, and they have to eat every day. A snake can get away with eating like once a year. You know, mm-hmm. these are, it, it's a different ecosystem and environment. And that's why you get things like zebras and horses and they can just outstrip anything in the Australian continent. Uh, you get cats, even domesticated cats. What have they got? They've got inbuilt knives as fingers. You know, like... Teeth that are designed rabbits. to hunk down on you. Huh? Rabbits, rabbits' evolutionary strategy is essentially just made as much as we possibly can. And how successful has that turned out, evidently? Yeah. Because they're cute and cuddly and they're easy prey. They're fast, but if I was a predator, I'd look at that thing, I'd think, wow, look at this. But by the time it's killed and eaten, it's already multiplied tenfold. Yeah. Because rabbits are pretty dead, d- d- destroying the Australian... A lot of Australian species, aren't they? Yeah. That's they, they've the, multiplied a lot since they were brought here. Isn't that pathetic? 
that even a rabbit outplays most Australian animals. Like, it's, it, it, that's pathetic, isn't it? Like, it says everything you need to yeah. know. Having said that, I wonder if you put a few, uh, you know, if you put a bunch of funnel webs out there in, in Europe, how well they'd go. Uh, or you put a bunch of brown snakes out in the Sahara, I reckon they got that, you know, they got that Aussie battler spirit. <laughs> <laughs> They'll take down a few of those savannah animals. Uh, that would be great. <laughs> a brown snake versus a lion. Because the uh, lion would, would, would kill it, but will the brown snake be able to bite it in time? strike first. Yeah, and then both will... I reckon... I'd, it's just the Australian in me, but yeah, I'm back in the brown snake, mate. What are the odds on that one? <laughs> brown snake. <laughs> Can we do that? <laughs> yes. You know what? Piss that off was, the, that was a Japanese show. So much. Huh? <laughs> just piss off vegans that much by, by just having these like trying to find the the best animal in the world put them pit them against each other Japan, sure that happened yeah japan did it they had like a really long-standing series called who will win i think and it was just like some <laughs> south american scorpion versus a wasp from africa and just putting him in <laughs> and who are the real who are the real <laughs> evil ones here it's obviously humans pitting other animals to fight to the death for our pleasure <laughs> for what for a show for like 20 minutes of our pleasure while we like eat, while some fat japanese people are eating sushi yeah. which is also animal. like a dead an animal a dead whale or whatever i mean we really are the apex predator it's nothing terrifying. comes close to what we have done and you know what? <laughs> we should be fucking proud of it. <laughs> we were just a bite. We were just a. Think about that. We were just some random monkeys millions of years ago, and some some tribe thought, "Oh, why don't we just stand up?" Yeah, why? Would have been dumb. <laughs> they, they've got a few so theories weird. for that. They say that the uh, the climate change there was less. Uh, trees so then there was a lot more sort of grassland so it it was of an advantage for the apes to stand up and then be able to see further across the savannah but they really don't i don't think they'd know hey there's any you know anthropologists no archaeologists i heard that what is the theory yeah standing up was about that yeah, because I'm just thinking about the other apes now. Even they don't really... Chimps can walk... They're generally still on all fours. But they look stupid they when they do They do have it. a bit more... Yeah, they've got their opposable thumbs and they've... Yeah, they, they're a bit of a... In between the two. Yeah, definitely. More so, so really, than It was us, man. It was Well, our ancestors. We were like, yeah, we're going to commit to this uh, bipedal thing. <laughs> look at us now and the, and the monkeys were like hey you do you man look at us now motherfucker we probably got ripped to shreds by lions for like a good million years there we there was probably a time in our evolutionary history where we were just easy prey oh, easy fucking prey definitely you know the thing that actually started to really ramp that along was uh, when humans started to evolve to become more communal, that's when we started beating that's, lions. Yeah, that uh, Sapiens first uh, talked about that, where 
the Neanderthal had a bigger brain than us, was physically more powerful than the average Homo sapien. But the reason they went extinct, well, it's theorized that the reason they went extinct was because they didn't organize themselves in tribes, whereas we did. And the way we organized ourselves in tribes was usually through some form of abstract thinking. We were able to come up with myths and legends. And, Mm. you know, they they found evidence of 50, sometimes even 100,000 years ago where there were these stone idols with, with bird heads. So... Well, religion or mythology or just symbols, abstract thinking was actually what allowed us to come together as a, as a tribe. And the Neanderthal may be bigger, but if it's up against 100 Homo sapiens, it's, it's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> There's also, it also, some people say we just outbred because a lot of um, uh, Europeans generally have about 1% Neanderthal DNA. So you probably have a bit of Neanderthal DNA. And then around Asia, there's uh, Homo erectus DNA often in a lot of the, um, which was another sort of, is another species of human. Mm. That's crazy. Mm. It wasn't that long ago. What, 30,000 years ago, there were just different species of human. I know. It's pretty cool. You know what else is, yeah. fu- like, imagine how, imagine your pickings being so bad that Neanderthals and Homo erectus looked good. <laughs> Interesting way to think of that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, the, it was like the incel Homo sapien that was like, well, none of the Homo sapiens want to fuck me. Oh, oh fuck, sad. Fucking <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> Or maybe like the Neanderthal and Homo sapien interbreeding was like super progressive for its time. It was like there was like I don't care what you say, Dad. I'm gonna I love this Neanderthal. <laughs> We're gonna have half Homo sapien, half Neanderthal babies, and then they got wiped out. What do they call it? What do they <laughs> the, the the like extinction of the white race, which is like. <laughs> What's the, there's a word for it that all the like Alex Jones type people say. Um, Eugenics? No, 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 no. Just that because of fertility rates and just in you know mixed marriages and things, the white race will basically cease to exist in about a, a hundred years or something. I reckon there'll be a weird pocket of like people but in Alabama that that'll keep it. Well, yeah, if there's that much, it depends if the transport continually improves. And, you know, Richard Branson's trying these things where you can go from Shanghai to LA in two hours because of you, you, you're out of the atmosphere or something. Now, if that becomes a form of transport that just day to day middle class people can um, afford, then there's nothing stopping someone from living in Sydney and like, going to work in Shanghai. So there'll just be massive amounts of, yeah, the, like everyone will then interbreed. It's so um, easy. That's the whole thing with well, Australia. Well, no one's having kids anyway. No one's I having mean, kids. And if you do yeah. have kids now, they're mixed. That's about it. Pretty much. Um, the fertility rates in Asian countries are drastically low. And in um, Western countries, it's um, it's below replacement. The population still increases because of immigration. Yeah, it's but then education. also, like the sperm sperm counts are is actually really strange how dramatically sperm counts are going down. Uh, 
even compared to just 20 years ago, the tw- a 22-year-old 20 years ago had something like double the sperm and double the testosterone of a 22-year-old today. Now, lifestyle factors would be a, would probably be a big thing there. but It'd it, have to be pollution, surely. They, they say the uh, plastics have yeah. a certain chemical that are, that are decreasing um, testosterone and, and sperm counts a lot. But that is... And I don't think it's just in Western countries where there's been more of a cultural push to, well, you know, have men show their feminine side. I think this lower testosterone, lower sperm count is, is just all across the world. Dude, you know so, what? I honestly think that that is something that... Because there's always just people that are always complaining about the creepy old man. But I think it's just the creepy old man has a normal testosterone level and our generation kind of just looks at them and they're just like, Jesus, settle down. Uh, <laughs> but it's actually just because we're getting bred out by ourselves. You know what it was? I reckon the creepy old man was probably a really good-looking guy 40 years ago and whatever he's doing as a creepy old man would have worked 40 years ago when he's yes. like, hey, hey good-looking, that's a nice dress. Yeah. In the 80s, that probably worked when he was, you know, looked like Brad Pitt. The thing is, he just hasn't updated his mating strategy for his look. I mean, what can an 80-year-old do? Just go to the brothel, basically. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's some... Well, if, it's, if, if he wants to procreate, he'd have to look a bit below his age range. But... Um, <laughs> I, I just reckon... I reckon that, that creepy old man was probably a really smooth talker 40 years ago and he's just using the same strategies because you can be as creepy as you are. There's like a creepiness to good-looking scale, right? The better looking you are as a guy. It's not that you can be creepier, but your actions won't be perceived as creepy. Like the limit to what is perceived as creepy becomes higher and that generally increases with age. But... Whatever behavior, maybe he just got, it just got ingrained into him in his 20s. It's like, well, you know, you do this, you say this. You get results. You touch her bum and it works. And then now he's doing it as a 70-year-old. and Yeah, life moves on. It's really weird because you kind of do just walk around with that mentality for the rest of your life, don't you? I notice that now. Whenever I'm talking to 21-year-olds, there's just like there is a definite. You know what? You can actually really see it in humor, I think which is that, like, anything that ever gets them going is either someone, like, really embarrassing themselves or it'll be something like Dave Chappelle just saying, like, something about transsexuals and they'll be like, oh, my God, so edgy. Whereas, like, with my generation, I think that there was just a bit of, like, eh, so what? Like, it was... It was, like, fine when I was growing up to pay out transsexuals, but now it's, like, not okay because of that, like, age divide or whatever. So they, to them, that is really taboo. But I think, like, I think what I I was always, like, really amazed by in my generation, I was always amazed by, like, comedians that could be clean, you know? I was always just like, fuck, Toy Story has some good jokes. I was like, exactly. I was like, that's a skill. Yeah. Not that I say that, like, I'm a dirty, vile fucking comedian, but I think that that... No, me too. I know, but... It's a skill, but... uh, But but then I don't like people... I think it's it's commendable to be a clean comedian, but then when people say, oh, 
comedians that swear just do it to get a laugh. And that pisses me off because you know, maybe in your mind, people are that dumb and they're, oh, he said fuck. <laughs> no, uh, not everyone's that stupid. Generally, comedians who are swearing, they're, they're doing it because they're being themselves. They're being, mm. their, they're being authentic. They're using the mm. vernacular that they would normally use. So you're just being pompous if you say, well, you shouldn't have to rely on swearing to get a laugh. No one's laughing at the swear word. No one's... Even a 12-year-old boy probably has a bit more of a refined sense of humor than, oh, he said shit. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's laughing at the swear words. No. That, it's that, tr- that shit triggers it. me. I hate exactly. that Exactly. It's the vibe. But, uh, of course, there's people who just employ gratuitous swearing and it's and it's... It's, you know, it's tasteless. But I actually like a, a comedian that throws in a few swear words here and there because it feels real, feels authentic. Mm. That's what you notice. The more that you're like yourself on stage, the funnier it gets. It's, it's like tried but true. Tried. Tried but true. That's, that's it. So this has been a very fun uh, remote podcast.